Take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 7. Before I read God's word, let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we praise you for the ministry of your word. We praise you that you have given us this ordinary means that we may seek you as you have sought us, that we may draw near to you as you have drawn near to us. We thank you that we have sung the word and and prayed the word, we've read it. Lord, now we pray especially for the preaching of your word, that you may make it an effective means of convicting sinners, of driving us to Christ, of drawing us unto yourself, and of of sanctifying us and moving us along toward glory. Oh Lord, it it is a foolish thing that we do to sit and listen to a man. But we know that that is not what this is. But that you have come to speak to your people by your word and by the proclamation of it by a herald. So let us not trust in ourselves or in the man who stands but in the Christ who has died and given this word that we might cling more closely to him. Do it for his sake. Work in your people for the glory of your name. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read from verses 11 through 17. Hear God's word. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The grass withers and the flower falls, but this, the word of our God, endures forever. Amen. In this part of Luke's gospel, Jesus is on a preaching tour. He's moving from town to town, proclaiming the kingdom and the gospel of God. 
Much of his teaching, as we see here in this passage, is punctuated by signs and miracles. The signs and miracles weren't the main reason Jesus was touring. It was the proclamation of God's word and the kingdom coming. But he would perform these signs and wonders and miracles from time to time to to, to punctuate this teaching he was doing. And as he's moving out of Capernaum, where he was in the beginning of chapter 7, and and he moves, walks towards this town called Nain, he and his disciples interrupt this funeral procession. It was common in that day for the day on which the person died, there was no embalming, there was no process. They would take the body and go outside the city and bury it. And this short passage about this interrupted funeral proclaims two things to us. It proclaims to us the compassion of Christ and the power of Jesus. Compassion and power. We're really just going to walk through the text. There's not really any main points, but if if you were thinking about an outline, we're going to look at these four things as we go through. There's, There's a hopeless situation that's met by the compassion of Christ and the power of Jesus. And then at the end, we see a proper response of the people who witnessed it. The hopeless situation, the compassion of Christ, the power of Jesus, the proper response. If you're paying attention, you realize that this funeral that they come upon is an especially sorrowful one. It's for the only son of a woman who's already lost her husband. At some point before this event, that, that, that gut-wrenching, heartbreaking event of, of a spouse losing another spouse has taken place. Her husband had died, and she became a widow. But in the moment, maybe there was some hope still for her. That her son was still there. But now she is alone. For this woman to lose her husband and her only son meant certain poverty. You know, in that day and age, there was no social security. There there was no insurance to be paid out. There was no work for her to do. She was left to depend on the generosity and kindness of others. It was a sentence of certain poverty. All, All her hopes all her security were going out to be buried in the cemetery with her, her boy's body. This hopeless situation is a reminder to us of the human condition. You know, more than sin came when Adam fell in the garden. Sin certainly. Adam led us into rebellion against God and he brought sin to us all. But do you know that what came with it was the penalty for sin? Death itself. Paul says it in Romans 5 that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Death is a result of our fall into sin, and we see it on display here in this passage.
But sin has, has penetrated even further than this. In Romans 8, Paul talks about not just the effects of sin on us as the sinner, but also the effects of sin and the fall on the world. He says it's been subjected to futility. And he suggests, and we praise God for this, that one day the world will, will, will come out from underneath the weight of, of its bondage to corruption. Now that's the one day. So right now, Paul says, the world is in bondage to corruption. This, this scene of death and mourning reminds us of the brokenness of this world and of the great sorrow that has come with it. You know, it doesn't take us very long to think about all of the ways that sin and death and, and the bondage of the world to corruption has affected us. You feel and experience this all the time. Those broken, tense relationships between, well, in the first place, between us and God. Why don't we always want Him? Why don't we always seek Him? It's because sin has created a tension between us and Him. But even then it comes down to the ground, right? And goes horizontal. That there's tension between us. Not, not us and others, between us. <laughs> that sin gets in the middle of our relationships and, and in the middle of our marriages and in the middle of our families and, in, and, and between you and your siblings and between you and your elders and your pastors and, and, and between us all. And, it's, and it just twists things up. We also feel the effects of sin in our dying bodies. I was trying to figure out how to phrase that, trying to come up with a phrase to explain it, but the truth is that all of us are living in bodies that are dying. They won't survive. You know, cancer was never a part of the original creation. It's a result of the fall. It's not the way... It was supposed to be chronic aches and pains and strokes and Alzheimer's. And, you know, you could join with me and make the list so much longer. All of these things are results of the fall. All of these things that affect our loved ones and us in these debilitating ways. On and on and on the list goes of all the ways that, that the, the world under corruption has brought misery into our life. Because of the fall into sin. This is all what we face before we even consider death itself. That event where in one moment someone is with you and in the very next, gone. Apart from Christ into everlasting torment. Now in Christ we praise Him. Everlasting glory. Eternal blessedness before the face of God. But, but even then, for a believer to depart still leaves us here with the sorrow and the sadness and, and it wrenches our hearts. The sin and, and misery of the fall brought this terrible thing called death into this world. And, and if we're being theologically accurate, we have to add one more. The, perhaps the most burdensome of all of the results of the fall it, all of the sorrows that we face as believers is our, our ongoing personal struggle against sin and temptation. That still distance that exists between us and our God. That still coldness that we feel toward Christ more often than we desire. 
Paul talked about in Romans 7. So I find it to be a law, he says, that whenever I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he erupts in verse 24 of Romans 7, wretched man that I am. How often do you feel that? Who will deliver me from this body of death? The death and sorrow of this hopeless situation remind us of all that our sin has brought to the world. But look, look, here comes Jesus. This young man probably died that same day. They have the body on the buyer, the plank of wood. They're carrying him out to be buried. The body was most likely wrapped up in, in some kind of burial cloth. Simply to say that there would have been no confusion to passers-by of what was going on. It would have been common and traditional for the family of, of the deceased to walk in front of the buyer, leading it out. You, know, you see Tim always walking in front of the casket in a funeral. That's because that's what we're supposed to do. And the family too. They would lead the body out to be buried. And in this particular case... Not a group, not a couple of siblings, one singular woman alone leading her son's body out to be buried. It may have been obvious, but to some degree or another, Jesus, by the help of the Spirit, knows exactly what's going on. Look at 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Now, Luke does something very helpful for us here, and he reveals a little bit of his own faith when he calls Jesus Lord. It's a particular title. It's intended to be used for Yahweh, for the Lord God specifically. He's identifying Jesus as the God man in his use of that word. He's identifying Jesus as the one who has come to save his people from their sins. This is the Lord, the God-man, the one come down from heaven. And, and what does he do? He has compassion on her. And there's a whole host of people there. The crowd that came with Jesus and the crowd that came with the woman, they all meet outside the city. He might be inclined to have compassion on, on the town. They've lost these two men, maybe close together. That they've lost another son of their, their city. But do you see how particular our Lord Jesus is? The Lord saw her. How tender he is. How thoughtful. How pointed he is in what he does and what he says. And he has, as it says, compassion on her. But this is not just warm fuzzies. He doesn't have that, that tingle that we get sometimes, right? We don't know what it is, but it's you know, some psychosomatic thing that's going on in our bodies where we hear certain words or see certain things and we get goosebumps, as we used to call them when I was growing up. Jesus isn't just feeling warm feelings. He, his compassion moves him. In fact, it's, it's kind of interesting 
the end of verse 13, when he speaks to her at first, do not weep. Wouldn't that be a cruel thing to say to somebody in this situation? I mean, how dare he? This woman's lost her husband and now her only son. Do not weep. Of course she needs to weep. Of course in our circumstances in this earthly place, we need to weep. Why in the world? How in the world can he say, do not weep? Because he is the Lord. And if anyone has a right to tell this woman to dry her eyes, it's him. Why? Because he is the one who has power and authority to reverse death and to kill sin. Do not weep. And before we look at that power, I want you to consider this, this compassion of Christ a little bit more. You know, Jesus didn't wait for the widow to ask for help. We don't know if she knew who he was. But he didn't wait for her to figure it out. He had compassion and he acted. And he will raise her son. We've already read that part. It happens. But, but this, this initiation on Jesus' part, this is the same as, as God is toward you in your sin and your misery. This is the same way he is toward all of his people. Alexander McLaren thinks about it like this. He says, if, if heaven had waited until men's prayers had come to its gates before it sent forth its greatest gift, heaven would have waited forever and all mankind would have perished. God's love, he says, flows out of its own expansive and diffusive nature. Friends, the, this self-starting compassion that we see of Christ here towards this sorrowful widow, widow is, is the same electing love that God has shown toward you in calling you to himself and providing salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. He moves toward us. We love because he first loved us. We are lost and dead in sin. We, we are much more to be pitied in our natural state than this woman ever was. On your own, in your sin, you are destined to spend the rest of eternity being punished for your treason against the holy God. But Jesus came to save you. He came to bring life to your mortal bodies. He entered into humanity so that you might be set free from the power of sin and death. And, and this is comfort for all of God's people. It, it doesn't make our current circumstances go away. It doesn't bring certain people back. It doesn't, it doesn't make all the hard things disappear in a, in a moment. It doesn't make parenting any easier practically. It, it doesn't change the sinful nature of our children. It doesn't immediately remove all the sinful inclinations of your heart and mind. But the reality that Christ came and saved you from hell and death is a comfort now. Because it is the truest thing. It is the surest thing that we have redemption from sin and hell in our Lord Jesus Christ because He has paid the penalty for our sin on the cross and counted His righteousness to our account and has promised that one day, someday, He will return in glory. And if we don't go to meet Him before then, we sure as will then rise up into heaven with our God forever and ever and ever. And I know I love it. Do you know in glory you won't be able to sin? 
and you won't be able to be cold and you won't be able to be disinclined toward God, but always and forever we will love Him because He has loved us. This is the compassion of our God that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the compassion means very little if there is no power to back it up. His, his comment to her, do not weep, is cruel and useless if he doesn't move into verse 14 and 15. Before I read those, I want to point out in the previous passage, there was a centurion that, um, that, that sent asking of Jesus that he would heal his sick servant And as Jesus went toward the house of the centurion, you can jump up there and look at uh, Luke 7, verse 6. Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. I don't presume to come to you. But just say the word and let my servant be healed. Just say the word. That's all it takes. The centurion's spot on. Jesus doesn't have to perform some kind of ritual. He doesn't need you to make some kind of sacrificial offering. Jesus has but to speak. And the command is followed. Look at 14. And then he came up and touched the buyer. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, and here's the one word, arise. And the beginning of verse 15 should make our heads spin. And the dead man sat up. That's never happened. Except for here and some other places in Scripture. Dead people don't do anything. But at the word of Christ, through whom the world was created, the dead respond and sit up. Just as he commanded the sea to be still, so also at his spoken word, death creeps back into its hole. What is there here for us? This is what Ralph Davis says. The realm of death, Christian, the realm of death does not put you beyond Jesus' reach. Many of us today are walking through the realm of death. Loved ones who have been taken away. And, you know, in God's timing, yes. But still too soon, right? That's our experience of it. Not now. Not yet. All of us, all of us, if you haven't lost somebody, if you're not feeling that particular loss today, all of us are walking in a world affected by sin and tormented by Satan. Whether it's sickness and disease or or the old age of time, or the continuing onslaught of, of remaining corruption, that, that, that relentless body of death that we still fight. See, here and know this. The realm of death does not put you beyond Jesus' reach. Now you, you may feel like you will never escape from grief at this moment, and you may not. You may feel like you will never live a life that is free from sickness ever again, and you may not. You may feel like you will never know a life without that pestering remaining sin, and you may not. You may feel like nothing in this life will ever be right ever again, and it may not. This is the effect of death and sin on this world. 
J.C. Ryle says it right. Death is mighty, but not so mighty as our Jesus. It's that question at the end of Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is why you never read Romans 7 without reading Romans 8. The chapter marker there is useless. Keep going. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you get to Romans 8 verse 1, and most of you know it by heart. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, this means we rejoice even in the face of death, that there's no condemnation and sin will have no victory over us as we are connected to God through Christ. Physical death will come for all of us, yes. But in Christ, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is our compassionate Savior. He's the manifestation of that prophetic word from Lamentations chapter 3 that declares the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Are they new the morning after death? Yes. Are they new the morning after a diagnosis? Yes. Are they new the morning after your children have refused out loud to receive Christ? Yes, new. Every morning, Christ's mercies are new. Every morning. And He is powerful to save. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The magnificent truth of Jesus' lordship over, over sin and death ought to draw out of us the same fear and worship that we see in these people in 16 and 17. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Recognize, friends, that, that God has visited his rebellious people by sending His Son to save them from their sin and rebellion. And He has brought life to us who have believed on His name. In your sorrow and your grief over death and sin, just as this woman experienced it, turn to the compassionate Savior. Turn to the One who has power to forgive and power to make alive. It is our Jesus, our Lord. He paid the penalty for your death. And He is alive again ruling and reigning from his throne in heaven. May this be a comfort to us, no matter our circumstances. That Christ rules. That he has saved us. What a blessing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please come and write the truth of your word upon our hearts. We love you, Lord. We praise you that you rule over death and that you have brought life to us by your own death. Help us that we may walk with joy and gladness because of all that you have done. And we ask it in your name. Amen.